on today's Compassion Radio. The good news is that the work has not ceased. 21 and 22 have been some of our best years ever. Through 20-some years of relationship building with good friends, trusted friends inside of China, God's work is still going on and has not been hindered by the virus. Glad to hear that. From the edge of the world to the center of the kingdom, this is the daily report from the front lines of faith. We're Compassion Radio. And I'm Bram Floria. Thanks for tuning our way today. We've asked a number of times over the years, where is the kingdom of God growing the most these days? Well, there are many contenders now, and that's tremendous news. From Iran to Myanmar, Brazil to India, the church is on the move in the 21st century more than in all 20 centuries that have come before. But China, in sheer numbers of new believers and demand for Bibles, still outshines them all. When some politicians might want to make a boogeyman out of China, and every Chinese person, the faithful are able to see past that kind of rhetoric to the miracle that is exploding inside China, even as their government rattles the nerves of the world. Our guest today is one of the prime reasons we've been able to go as far as we have into the fascinating narrative that is the story of the gospel in China. This week, he'll bring us up to date on the current state of affairs there. Thanks for tuning in today as we began a special series on the current spiritual and political situation inside China. Back with us on Compassion Radio today for many Americans and Westerners that travel to the Far East. He has been eyes and ears. He's been the heart of the place. We call him, for our purposes, Dr. China. So, Dr. China, welcome back to Compassion Radio. Thank you. It's good to be back with you and uh, keep up the good work. You've been a good docent for us to understand the contemporary politics and culture and how it's evolved so quickly in two generations, in China especially. You have a role and have been a consultant and an encourager and a fixer, so to speak, of organizations that would love to be doing business in China in an ethical and godly way for those who actually have spiritual values at the core of their organizations. And so you help them figure out how do you operate in a place where the expectations, the worldviews, the values may be diametrically opposed to us in some ways, but may be very much aligned in others. And being able to suss that out is not an easy thing to do if you don't know the place of people. You've done that for a number of years, and we're grateful for you for doing it for us. So tell me a little bit about what your role is now. Can you actually do that kind of consulting and work that you've been doing over in China and other countries of the region? Or are you pretty much stuck in the States right now while things shake out? Uh, that's a yes-no answer. Okay. A yes, like anybody, any business who wants to work inside of China, if you're a foreigner, you have to go through the requisite 14 days quarantine. Right. And I'll just you know, be as honest as I need to be here. The thought of going for 14 days to a three-star Chinese hotel and not leaving the room, I mean, literally not yeah. leaving yeah. the room for 14 days, having uh, Chinese food brought to you three times a day and put at your doorstep in a styrofoam box, paying for this and knowing the whole time that anything you send out by phone or by email is, of course, going to be censored. So that's a given. Yeah. And then when you leave, you may have to spend another seven days in the secondary site when you leave Shanghai or Beijing. Yeah. So uh, that's a reality. I have a business consultant friend. Uh, he's not in the religious sphere that we are, but uh, he tells his clients, you figure out about a $21,000 cost hmm. 
<laughs> if you want to go into China right now and you tally everything up. So you have a time factor, you've got a financial factor, and with the current zero tolerance policy with COVID, say you want to go to Chengdu when mm-hmm. you leave, right. visit that beautiful city and visit the panda bears. Yep. Well, if there's four or five or six cases of COVID related, there may be another indefinite period of delay. Yeah. And along with that, you're going through routine testing and scans and forbid that you get an erroneous scan. Who knows what would happen? So uh, for those reasons, the answer is yes, it has prohibited us personally from being in China. The good news is that the work has not ceased. Good. Uh, 21 and 22 have been some of our best years ever. Good to hear. And we do that through 20-some years of relationship building with good friends, trusted friends inside of China. Uh, They love the Lord just like your listeners do. There are people we've known for long periods of time. And I would remind your listening audience that the power of Guangxi still exists. Hmm. Relationships, relationship networks. And we're thankful to know that as we've been asked to distribute certain products We've been able to do for them 100,000, 200,000, a million copies and have the trusted network to be able to do that. So God's work is still going on and uh, has not been hindered by the virus. Glad to hear that. Now, I understand the desire for the demand for things like finished copies of the Word of God in the vernacular languages and the new dialects that are coming online as translations. For those uh, bodies of believers in those different sections of China that have said, we want in now, we want to be part of this global kingdom, we want to know the Word like you do, and they've been asking for it. So the distribution networks and the printing and stuff you think are still underway enough and are still permissible enough by the government that those who want Bibles and other kinds of materials that Christians would normally work from, they're actually having a chance to get them? Yeah, absolutely. The hunger for God's Word has not dissipated. Frankly, it's never going to. Well, of course it's not going to. (laughs) I just wonder about people's uh, courage about going for it. There's always a hunger. As we work, and have our clients work exclusively in a legal manner. Mm -hmm. That means that we are subject to legal publications. Mm -hmm. That's a choice we made. And I will say at the moment, based upon what many have experienced inside the country, it may have been a good choice. Mm -hmm. So we encourage all our clients who work with us to do things legally, openly. That means they have the right permits. They have the right stamp. And yes, let me anticipate the question. It is indeed an accurate translation of God's holy word. <laughs> Glad to hear it. <laughs> and that, I know that question's going to come up, so let's just anticipate it. Right. How do we know that? I want to remind you, friends, it doesn't take a long-nosed, white-faced English speaker to read the Chinese Bible to attest to its veracity and accuracy. Some right. of the best Bible scholars in the world are Chinese, and a large segment of the world reads Chinese. They're trained in excellent seminaries around the world, and I can assure you, if God's Word is ever amended, violated, or compromised, there will be a scream held around the world, Hmm. and a copy of that truncated Bible 
will be held up for the whole world to see and explore. Yeah. So far, that has not happened, and we're very thankful for that. Something that always fascinated me about sitting down with believers in China was when you go to familiar passages and you would read them together, and someone would read something in English, and then the Chinese believer would read back what their word says, and then someone would translate from the Chinese back to you. And how the phrasing or the syntax might be quite a bit different, or the emphasis on whether it was person or object that seemed to take the important part of the verse, would often be a little different than what I would expect, because it wasn't being read back to me in King James or in New American Standard or NIV. It was coming from their heart and their vernacular back to me, so one language to another, not directly from Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek. It was coming from them. And then I realized how important it is that the vernacular connects with my heart. And so we would often have a little conversation about why this particular word choice? And they would say, well, in English, it doesn't sum it up as well, so maybe you have a better word in English. And I'd say, well, this is one we use. Well, yeah, that's it. That's it. But it doesn't capture all of it. And I, th- I heard that every time we talked about the word together. The word you have does not capture all of it, and it never has. And every language around the world has got some room for expansion and letting the Holy Spirit open us up to the fullness of his word and how it's going to mean something in every language, in every culture. Absolutely. And that's why our excellent Bible translators understand that. What I appreciate is the people that I'm around understand it not just academically, they understand it emotionally as well. And we have good groups such as Illuminations, which is working with 10 or 11 of the leading Bible translation groups. They'll see that the Word of God is translated into the heart language of every people group. And they have a goal and a time for that. It's been my joy to participate uh, numerous of those events. So we have people that are excelling in that, and your listeners can be assured that these are linguists. Mm. These aren't just good intention right. Bible readers. They're people who have invested their life to see that that translation into every tribal language comes from the original text, but also respects the true heart understanding. Now, I admit, I am not the linguist. So don't ask me any more about that. (laughs) I'll be speaking out of ignorance. But they're out there. They're working in tandem. And it may be, if I might just add, the first time in the history of the world that so many qualified groups and organizations have worked in lockstep, sharing resources, their learning, they're sharing their production so we are don't duplicate or it's not needed. Pretty exciting time. And yeah, by the is. way, a lot of those languages are still in China. Yeah, it's true. How many uh, language groups, again, are major groups and then have sub-chapters within different dialects that have different kind of script and writing that are needed to be covered? I knew you were going to ask me that, my friend, because I would have brought out my folder. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, I do know that a considerable amount of the untranslated people groups, and remember, many of these may only be populations of 100, Mm. 500. We're not talking massive, large groups. And vanishing Uh, quickly in a lot of ways. Yeah, the the low-hanging fruit has pretty much been cared for. Rather than hazard a wild guess right now, I I just turn to somebody who's got the data in front of them. 
If you're interested in this, I encourage you to visit the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. There's a circular room, and every language group that doesn't have a translation of at least, I think it's 30 chapters or so many chapters of God's Word, has a blank cover on it. Hmm. So you can see it visually there at the museum. That's fun. The museum exhibit that was traveling even before the museum was finished was fascinating to walk into as they were talking about assembling their collections. And I know they got burned a bit a few years ago by being overeager in their pursuit and purchase of texts and scripts that they found around the world or purported to be. And they found the number of the collection turned out to be not original manuscripts at all. And so they had to relinquish those and, and own up to the fact that they had been overeager. They bought things that were not genuine, and they were doing a very disciplined job of ferreting out those things that were truly genuine from early script-writing home bases of the Word across the centuries and dispensing with those that were forgeries, which is also an important work. If I can add kudos yeah. to what you've said, which is accurate, the leaders of the museum, I want to single out, especially the integrity of the Green family. Mm-hmm. When they found that some of their manuscripts, they had a record, should not have left the country of origin mm-hmm. at great financial cost to themselves, they had those sent back. Yeah. And even though they were valuable, valuable manuscripts, They want to run the Bible Museum with the highest degree of integrity. And for that, I think we should be extremely supportive. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or give online at CompassionRadio.com. It's tough when you see people who are really in the pursuit, eagerly in the pursuit of truth and quality and integrity, get sucked up into something where their integrity is called into question because of disreputable sources and suppliers. And then take the responsibility for all of that. That's like one of those buck stops here kind of attitudes. And I I do appreciate that they did that. They're rebuilding their reputation. But they're also, I think, doing an important thing of reminding the world, the church around the world, don't just take everything that comes in the door for granted. Test it. See if it's true. Bring the best minds and hearts you can to this and let the Holy Spirit show you the way towards the truth. Because it's been there all along. They can sure be messed up in some ways, and people can twist it up and use it for their own gain. I'm sure the devil's very happy with that. Well, it's always a temptation, isn't it, brother? But to dovetail off of our conversation, I was working with some of the same people. They wanted to do a Bible exhibition in Hong Kong Mm -hmm. before the final close down there. And they asked if I could help them get some Chinese manuscripts that were valuable. Mm -hmm. And so I picked up one of the leading scholars, and we traveled into inner China. It was in Hernan. I won't say anything further than that. It was fascinating. We found many handwritten manuscripts in Chinese. We looked at a collection and went through it, and I asked the expert, I said, how would you value that? And he said, well, I would roughly say 100,000 because you value these manuscripts on rarity, and I've never seen anything like this particular one. One that was extremely fascinating 
somebody had taken the red book of Mao Zedong, mm-hmm. and instead they'd copied the New Testament inside of it. Yeah, by hand, probably. You know, that was particularly interesting. But that harks back to a previous time when Bibles in general were not legal. Right. Now, thankfully, they are today. Thankfully, that day is gone, and let's hope it is gone for good. I want to address something about the romance of the underground mentality for Christians. You know, for a lot of generations of Christians, like late 19th century through the 20th, now the 21st, there was a mystery and excitement and adventure in the idea of smuggling Bibles around the world. And it was the way that the Word of God got into countries where there were death warrants on those who would bring the Word of God to their people. They saw it as a direct threat, that this book itself was so powerful that it could transform people's thinking worldviews like overnight and could disrupt their entire society. There was that much of a paranoia. And they're not incorrect in that. If people really get endowed with the truth and imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word in that book. Things do happen, and rather quickly, in many societies. So the countries were not outside the realm of possibility of suspecting that they were in danger, politically or socially, if something like this came in. At the same time, it was one of those calculated risks that Christians had to take. Do we disobey God by not bringing the word to people that he is bringing to him, or do we risk our lives on his behalf and run the risk of us losing our lives or them losing their lives because they accepted it? Is that risk the kind of risk that God's Spirit is asking us to take? And every generation had to deal with that calculus. What does the Holy Spirit say for this time, in this generation, in this place, with these people? And they have to make a choice so their conscience can be clear before God. And every generation has made that choice. And we've been romanced by the idea of the great success stories of the word being smuggled into Soviet countries early on during the Soviet Union's existence, or over all those hundreds of years towards Southeast Asia, especially where there was so much immediate violence in response to the word. And now you have said so many organizations, including many of the most popular or well-known evangelistic organizations in the States, have decided, no, now is the time for us to make a declaration of transparency and honesty and forthrightness with every government because we ascribe ourselves to a higher authority. We treat him as if he is truly king of us, and therefore we are ambassadors of a real kingdom to other real organizations and nation states. And they said it's a front door opportunity from now on. They made that choice. That is not for me changing the least the, the risk and the investment and the expense of treasure and of peace or of prosperity that people have to go through in making the choice to make that word available. It's just as dangerous in my mind, because so many more now know what you're doing. But you and I have seen in our generations that most of the Christian community has decided to go, as we say, through the front door and say, this is the word of God and we are not ashamed of it, nor should you be. But you ought to be concerned about it because it really will change people's lives, including yours. In fact, we invite you to read it so you'll know for yourself. And finding ways to make that word available legally within each jurisdiction, tax it if necessary, but make it available so that as it goes out, no one can claim that a law was broken or that there's like an immediate consequence legally for having held or touched that word of God. It's a choice. I'm not making any moral judgments one or the other. I do believe every generation has that responsibility before God to decide what the Holy Spirit's leading them to do. I think you raise a question that every missional organization and every mission-minded individual is going to need to struggle with in this global society. Mm -hmm. Certainly we did. One of my first official trips, and the man who was heading up the TSPM, the, the CCC at that time, was Dr. Han Wenzhal. Mm-hmm. He looked at our delegation, the delegation of denominational leaders from the West, 
And he said this, he said, you say you're Christians, then why do you sneak around and why are you dishonest and why do you lie to us? Mm -hmm. If you want to do something in China, come and ask. And that was 25 years ago. I made the decision to do just what he said. Now, most of the experts in the country said, there's no way you'll be allowed to do anything of substance. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, well, we'll try. And since that time, we've tried to take a singular path. Now, for your listeners, I would encourage them to picture railroad tracks. On the one track runs the house church, Bible smuggling is going on and all that. Then you have the registered church. I think probably more accurately, unregistered registered instead of house churches, because Mm -hmm. registered people meet in houses, and sometimes the unregistered actually have big buildings, not Mm -hmm. so much currently, but they have had. But registered, unregistered. I chose to ride on the registered rail and see how far God would open that door. Others have taken the other track. Rather than make a judgment, Because anybody who thinks it's simple really doesn't understand China at all. Or many of the other countries nearby. They are naive. It is not simple, and there's no one answer for everybody. But what I would say is don't try to run on both tracks. Tracks need to stay parallel. When you don't do that, you have a bad train wreck. And so we've said, this is who we are. This is what we wish to do. We're your friends. We're not going to sneak around. We're not going to be hard to find and then leave it with the Lord. Should everybody do that? I'm not going to say that. I will say that those who work with us will take that approach. Right. And I don't think it's an either or. I think that's very narrow, judgmental. And I fall back on the Philippians verse, whether in pretense or in truth, in all things Christ is preached. And in that we rejoice. So I think rather than get the body of Christ at odds with one another, I think we should pray for one another. But having said that, if you're minister-minded and you have a desire for the continent of China, Mm -hmm. touch them and influence and impact and help, you probably need to make that decision very early on because with today's modern surveillance, there is no more sneaking around inside of China. That is precisely the point. I think it came around for us as an organization, having been involved with uh, Bibles into many nations and Bible smuggling into some for the past 40 years. Compassion Radio had to make a choice. What does the 21st century really have for us as a media ministry? And how do you keep things separate anymore? I mean, the broadcast ministry here in America would go to Americans over the airwaves. They were in a bubble. When you went overseas, you were a nobody, and you would try to build the networks of relationships that were necessary to get accomplished the objectives and the things you wanted to do as a ministry. Never the twain shall meet. And now I come into this responsibility as a host of this program, and everything is 100% on the Internet. Nothing is scrubbed. We have to be careful about the worldwide audience that is always snooping over our shoulders about how we present ourselves to our own audience. Not because we're afraid that people will find out what we're doing, but because we do not want to be misunderstood radically by folks that are outside of our culture by misreading the kind of cues we give to our own people. So we have to make sure that the things we say are forthright and can be seen by anybody. And if we get asked by even a guest like you, Dr. Jaina, that, you know, that needs to not be on the air because they just won't go over well with certain people out there. We have to make that choice to say, well, it's important enough to say or it's important enough to not say in order to protect the people that are doing it. 
So we make those choices tactically as we go through the day. That's the reality, I think, for the 21st century. There is no real privacy anymore. There is the notion of legal privacy, in other words, the integrity of your person and your effects, which include your ideas, your thoughts, your writings, what you produce in your life. But there really is no true privacy where no one can see you anymore. You walk through everybody's cameras all day long. You cross their Wi-Fi signals. Everything that happens around you is constantly online. So we have a different, totally different world, I think, to deal with. There's two different sets of concerns. One is, and I assume most of the audience is American. They live safely in the relative security of our country, although that's been called into question recently. Mm -hmm. But the relative security, right. openness, freedom. But what about our partners that we're working with inside of a restricted country? Right. Do we just forget about them for our own promotion, our own ego? Mm -hmm. and say, I, I want a name, and so I'm going to broadcast what we're doing. For our clients, we continually remind them, don't hurt the people you love. Yeah. They live there. Yeah. That's their country. That's their political system, and there's no running from it. And I've had high-ranking leaders look at me in the ultimate privacy context of conversation. And these friends look at me, and they simply say, we have no choice. We can't leave. We can't resign our job. We can't move. We have no choice. And sometimes we're asked to do things that we wish we didn't have to do. Sure, I suppose it's proof texting. Right. My brother, we all do it. Do you quote the verse? Submit to those in authority. Yeah. Who is there but God has appointed them? That's true. Or do you quote the verse? We must obey God rather than man. And all of us that have been in God's word for any length of time get pretty good at picking the fruit that we want to throw at somebody else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our guest, who goes by the handle of Dr. China, will be back with us again tomorrow. So I hope you'll tune in then or catch the podcast on our website, CompassionRadio.com. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.